thank you for listening, but I encourage you to be skeptical of everything you hear on any podcast, this one included. If you have correcting information for me, you can send it to livingthroughextinction at gmail.com. I should also let you know that I swear, and I'm too lazy to bleep that shit out, so listener discretion is advised. situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami the sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas apocalyptic scenes as twisters good day I'm Ruby and this is episode 53 of living through extinction a short to the point podcast with science skepticism environment wildlife and ways we as people can be better for future generations Almost a week into the new year now, and I'm still managing to sort of keep my shit together. Win! Though my brain is having a hard time wrapping itself around a few things, one of them being the fact that my son is going to be 18 in a few weeks and graduates grade freaking 12 this year. How? I want to think that things will improve for his generation. But hope dwindles as mega cult members have started appearing at protests outside of North America now. It's a disease which is unfortunately spreading, as diseases do. I was listening to the hosts of the Merseyside Skeptics podcast, Skeptic with a K, discuss how absurd it all appeared to see Trump 2020 signs at an anti-mask rally on their side of the ocean this past fall. And they're right. But I have to admit that in 2016 and 2017, I was just as stunned to learn that people I knew here in Canada had been taken in by all the bullshit QAnon and Trump were spouting. Not stupid people, some actually very intelligent, but definitely not intellectually honest. The ease in which they bought into things that supported their ideas and the battle it took to get them to check even a single source showed that they had no interest in truth. I was stunned by it. Never in a million years would I have pegged any one of them as being susceptible to propaganda. But there they were. And now, oh my gosh, now. Over the last little while, I've started to see good people manipulated by right-wing propaganda into sharing their posts. People who are absolutely anti-Trumpers. People who are not bigots. They see one thing in the post that they like, and it draws them in. And even though they don't really understand what's in the rest of the post, they share it as a good thing. Meanwhile, if they looked into the rest of the post, they would see that by sharing this thing and calling it good, they are promoting all those things they would normally stand against. By sharing these right-wing propaganda posts, they are promoting racism, Christian nationalism, alternative facts, LGBT bigotry, and more. Someone I know, who I know to be a good person, shared something that showed Joe Rogan and Tucker Carlson as being the most listened to people in 2021, and they commented that they considered that to be good news. Good news that people are listening to Tucker Carlson. What? How is a good person making and sharing this claim? Someone I'm sure in my heart would stand by my side in fighting for LGBT rights. How does this happen? My hope is that they were fooled drawn in by the top line of the post. They saw the Joe Rogan thing and shared based on that. I, as a skeptic, of course, have major issues with Joe Rogan, but at least he deals in woo, not hate. My hope is that they were not aware of the bigotry Tucker Carlson spreads with the use of lies on a regular basis. My ultimate hope is that they learn from this and pay more attention to the entire message being presented before sharing in the future. 
It's my understanding the post has since been deleted, but I have not heard anything about remorse. If I got caught in something like that, my first reaction would be, holy shit, I didn't realize that post I shared was saying what it was saying. I totally fucked up. I'm so sorry, everyone. It has been deleted and I will be more careful in the future. And when I see others take that kind of reaction to these things, my respect actually goes way up for them. Acknowledging a mistake and doing better going forward, I mean, how can I complain about that, right? If I find out they did have that reaction in the end, then I may be the one who ends up owing them an apology for not believing in them enough. And I would be very happy to offer it. It's a good thing when someone realizes how they have been manipulated, and a great thing when they can acknowledge it and grow. So, while I really, really want to believe things are going to get better for my kids' generation, between QAnon, Mega, Christian nationalists and the Taliban, and good people being turned into right-wing propaganda machines, it's just really hard to hold out hope sometimes, you know? Ha! <laughs> Fuck! How's that for a depressing way to start things off? Oh, wow. I'll just unload all my biggest fears on y'all here today, okay? <laughs> Fuck, I'm sorry. I promise it will get better from here. I'm going to talk about pizzly bears and using chewed gum to make new shit, so on with the show. If you've joined me before, then thank you so much for returning. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, welcome! I hope you find it both fun and informative, despite my initial negative ranting. Christian Healthcare Ministries MediShare Samaritan Ministries Liberty Health Share Freedom Health Share Trinity Health Share Healthcare sharing ministries in the U.S., while sounding like a nice way for a group of like-minded people to support each other, should be examined carefully by anyone looking to sign on to one for themselves. Healthcare sharing ministries are most often run through a church, and church members are often highly encouraged, pushed even, to be a part of them. Members all agree to pay or put away a specific amount of their income every month. And when someone has medical expenses, they either pay the bill and then go back for reimbursement, or the bill is paid directly by the ministry, depending on which ministry you're a part of. Health costs among them are shared in this way. The attraction is that it's usually cheaper than health insurance. The problem is that Obama's Affordable Care Act allowed these ministries to be exempted from the law's insurance mandates as they're actually not classified as insurance. They're more of a group share program. Because of the fact that they're exempt from rules and regulations that real insurance providers have to follow, they can get away with declining to pay for just about anything. Coverage itself can be declined for pre-existing conditions, including substance abuse and mental health care. You sought out therapy? Too bad. You're a recovered alcoholic? Too bad for you, too. They can refuse to pay for health care expenses required due to smoking. And worse of all, they can decline either membership or a payment based on their moral criteria, which means they can choose pretty much anything. For some of these ministries, certain medical procedures are against their beliefs, and those will not be covered if required. They can even require that members attend church regularly, abstain from tobacco and other drugs, attest to a specific statement of faith, and I'm just touching on all of it here. And consumers have little to no protection when claims are not paid or when coverage is denied. That protection is for consumers of actual health insurance only, and this is not health insurance. Healthcare sharing ministries often misleadingly bill as health insurance, and often seem to go out of their way to appear to be health insurance, while at the same time insisting that they make it very clear that they are not health insurance. So go ask a member. 
Ask what their health care sharing ministry is. They will almost certainly answer that it is their health insurance. So the not health insurance message does not seem to be getting to their members. In fact, members are sometimes fooled into believing it's the same as legitimate health insurance and cancel other forms they may have had until that time. Unlike regulated insurance, agreements with healthcare sharing ministries are not legal contracts. Liberty CEO Dale Bellis is on video stating, quote, It doesn't depend on a written contract where we can sue each other if someone doesn't send their share amount. It's really a contract written on our hearts, unquote. So, in other words, it cannot be legally enforced. If people do not pay out their portion after agreeing to, oh well. So before giving up your current insurance for one of these programs, look all the way into it first. Lack of regulations means that each ministry can have its own rules. Each ministry can function differently. Each ministry can have different bigoted-based boundaries put on your care. Make sure you find out all of the group-specific limitations, restrictions, and rules for the one you are interested in. Make sure the one you have chosen will be there for you when you need them, just as you plan to be there for the other members. If you're going to be a part of a healthcare sharing ministry, then please make sure you know what you are getting and what you are not. Ask questions, examine the results, and make sure you do what's good for you. Kelp forests are valuable, highly productive ecosystems which do their part in keeping the planet clean. Research conducted in 2016 suggested that the world's kelp forests sequester as much as 200 million tons of carbon each year. They also provide both food and shelter to a variety of organisms. Something called coastal darkening is diminishing the growth of our kelp forests, and productivity can be hindered at times by up to 95%. Life-giving sunlight is not penetrating into the coastal waters enough, and it has the potential to cause a whole range of ecosystem problems. After all, for many deepwater organisms, sunlight is their main source of energy. The cause is a myriad of things that combine together, and that can differ depending on location. Waves pulling dirt into the ocean, boats and storms stirring up the silt from the seafloor, rivers that carry fertilizer from the mainland causing algal blooms, and general pollution are all examples. While there have been a couple of papers on coastal darkening, it remains very understudied. We may want to put this one ahead of a few things, considering how much carbon capture we have the potential to lose here. Pizzly bears. Sorry, it's fun to say. Pizzly bears. Are you familiar with them? They're relatively new to us, and possibly new in general, having first been spotted in 2006. A hunter who thought he had shot a polar bear found that despite the white fur, the bear didn't look anything like a polar bear once he got close to it. He reported it and DNA testing was done. And so we identified our very first polar bear-grizzly bear hybrid. Since that first sighting, they seem to be observed more frequently as time goes by. And those sightings are likely to continue to increase, as polar and grizzly bears didn't split off from each other on the evolutionary tree until about five to 600,000 years ago. So they're still close enough in genealogy to produce viable offspring. That means that pizzly bears can mate with other pizzly bears and create more pizzly bears. The sad thing is, this new breed is a direct result of climate change. And even worse, they may very well replace polar bears as we know them in the future. As the north warms, grizzlies are expanding their territories northward. At the same time, starving polar bears are migrating south in search of food. As I explained in episode 33, polar bears depend on stable ice to launch themselves into the dives they use to catch their prey. So as the ice becomes more and more unstable and unavailable, 
They have begun to move south in search of new forms of nutrition. The problem with this is that polar bears, unlike grizzlies, have evolved for a very specific diet, and their small molars aren't good for much more than chewing blubber. So they go south, and the grizzlies go north, and they inevitably began meeting up and creating pizzlies. Sorry, this isn't a happy story, but I really like saying pizzlies. Now, this still being a new and so rare breed of bear, study has been minimal. It is hypothesized, however, that the pizzly bears may have advantages over the polar bears, as they may inherit the ability to eat a larger variety of foods. Grizzlies, just the opposite of polar bears, can pretty much eat whatever they want. It's still being confirmed at this point, but it's thought that the pizzly bear skull may have just enough of a change in it to allow for a more ranged diet than the polar bear parent could have had. Pizzly bears may someday be the main bears of the north, and polar bears will either be very rare or only available to see in books and movies. My mom recently mentioned a topic to me. Bubble gum. I thought that was a great idea. I'm not even going to get into the packaging, manufacturing, and travel emissions on this one. Just the gum itself, and why we need better ways to dispose of it. Chewed gum is the second most littered product after cigarette butts, which I did a segment on in episode 29. 80 to 90% of chewed gum does not get thrown away properly. And that which does is taking up large amounts of space in our landfills. I saw one estimate that 250,000 tons of Earth's landfill contents are made up of chewed gum. How often do people think it's just a piece of gum and spit it out wherever? How big a problem could this be? Well, Berlin's city covers the ground of Alexanderplatz, one of its main squares, with something akin to Teflon, and its purpose is to make chewing gum easier to remove. Mexico City bought expensive 90C vapor guns called Terminators to address the problem with, and it still takes three days working in eight-hour shifts to complete one avenue of 9,000 square meters. Singapore actually has bans on chewing gum except when required for medical or dental purposes. In 2012, London was preparing for the Olympics, and they had crews spend three months steam-cleaning gum off of less than two miles of street. So gum litter is definitely costing some of us taxpayer funds for its difficult cleanup. But then there's the gum that does not get cleaned up. The scents attract wildlife who do not have the systems to digest it. And because today's gum is most often made of a type of plastic, it's adding to the buildup of toxins in waterways and fish as well. This just adds to the toxin in our own food chain in the end. People have always enjoyed chewing on things. It's called mastication and it provides us with a few different benefits. Plants were common chewables, and then wax. But then bubblegum was created and came on the market in 1928. This chewing gum was more flexible, easier for kids to chew on, and most importantly, you could have fun making bubbles with it. But in order to give it this flexibility, it was made from a synthetic polymer called polyisobutene, which is not biodegradable. While there are gums on the market which are better for the wildlife and environment, you have to read the packages to see what you're getting. Back in the day when I was a gum chewer, I never thought at looking at the ingredients and processes, but I definitely would if I were to take it up again in the future. Chicle-based gums are supposed to be the best, as they are completely natural and will 100% biodegrade in just two weeks. Look for labels that note the product is all natural, free of synthetics, or biodegradable. Or look for that chicle in the ingredients. If that's what's giving it its chew, then it's a good one. And if you cannot find those gums and you must chew, then do your best to dispose of it properly. Do not flush it and do not spit it out on the ground. This will protect small creatures and help keep it out of our food chain. It may still end up in a landfill, but at least it's less likely to be taken in by a bird or a fish. 
I think gum receptacles are the only solution I've seen so far that really seem to make a difference, but they don't have them everywhere. Cities which tried them out saw a reduction in gum litter of 72%, so it sounds worth it to me. The receptacle company I'm most impressed with so far is from the UK, and they are called Gumdrop Limited. They developed a way to recycle all types of chewing gum into a compound for rubber and plastic industries. They have what are called gumdrop bins, where people can drop their chewed gum, and they even came up with a product called the Gumdrop on the Go for personal use. It attaches to your keychain, and when it's full, you drop it in your nearest gumdrop bin for recycling. If you cannot locate a bin, you can email them to arrange to have it shipped back to them, free of charge to you. They can only produce the compound with straight chewed gum from the receptacles, so if they are available to you, please use them. Cities can't send them the gum from the streets, as it's too contaminated. Oh, and the gum drop bins themselves? They're actually made out of the used chewing gum too, which I found extra awesome. Gumdrop Limited has been working with other companies to help make products with our gum waste, and they also have some products of their own which they sell. You can buy a boomerang made from chewed gum, or pencils, notebooks, reusable coffee cups, and more. More of these chewed gum receptacles in more places around the world is something we should probably be working towards. I try keeping my ending segments on the positive side, as sometimes the preceding segments can be downers. I share something that made me smile, or some weird thing about myself, or I share positive scientific breakthroughs that might offer hope. Today I have the latter for you, the malaria vaccine for children. Pilot programs for the vaccine in Guana, Kenya, and Malawi allowed for the collection of data over two years. They vaccinated over 800,000 children, and the result? A 30% reduction in deadly severe malaria, even in those areas where insecticide-treated nets are widely used. While 30% may sound low to some people, keep in mind that equals saving tens of thousands of lives of children every year. That's huge. In 2018, 411,000 people died of malaria, and most of them were babies and toddlers. In 2019, 409,000 died of it, also mostly babies and toddlers. In 2020, an estimated 627,000 people died of malaria, again, mostly made up of young children. Malaria is the primary cause of childhood illness and death in sub-Africa, so this vaccine has the potential to provide these children with a future. It can give many of these kids a chance to grow up into healthy adults, which they deserve as much as any child in any other location in the world. We don't deal with it much in North America because insecticides, drainage ditches, and window screens worked together to wipe it out in the 50s. Cases today come from travelers and immigrants, and there have been no recorded active transmissions in the U.S. since the 50s. Even traveler cases are low, as today there are antimalarial medicines that they can take. But as we all know, not everyone takes them, so it does reappear in North Americans on occasion. The children in South Africa deserve this. They deserve the same chance at growing up as my kids had. This is one scientific breakthrough that really is going to change lives, making things better for future generations. And so ends January. I'm now a year older, my kid's now a year older, and Living Through Extinction is officially two years old. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity be replenished daily. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro-outro for the show, and thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for their musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me in two weeks for episode 54 of Living Through Extinction. If you enjoyed what you just listened to and would like to support the show, the best ways to do so are to subscribe, rate, and comment on your favorite podcast player, or to follow, like, and share on all the social medias. 
The show can be found under Living Through Extinction on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok, and under LTE Pod on Twitter. There is also a Patreon, but I recently found out that people cannot find it, so I will be adding the link for it to my social media pages. I just have to figure out how to do that next. If you have any questions, corrections, comments, or suggestions, please email me at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com or message me through one of the social medias. From Nebraska to Texas, apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear.